It's time for You Better You Bet. We'll give you an edge to beat the spread and so much more. What do we call that? Wagertainment. It's You Better You Bet from BetQL. Oh, it's a Friday here on You Better You Bet. PJ Glasser, Mark Drumheller will filling in for Nick and Ken. It's been an awesome uh, three days filling in for them so far. Looking to finish off strong. We got a great show today. Ton of guests talking ton of different sports. We're going to talk some UFC 298. Talk a little college baseball with the season starting today. Daytona 500 is on Sunday. We'll dive into that as well. We got the NBA All-Star break. So even though football is dumb, Mark, still a lot. To get to, we uh, you can listen to us for the next four hours on Sirius Channel 160, Sirius XM 205. You can also listen and watch us on twitch.tv slash BetQL, YouTube backslash Odyssey Sports, and we are over on the Odyssey app for free. We'll be on Stadium at 4 o'clock Eastern Time, 4 to 6 Eastern Time. Mark and I on Stadium for those couple hours, but uh, going to be a great Four hours here with you guys up until 7 o'clock Eastern time. Mark, great to see you again. How did the bets go last night for you? Absolutely, PJ. Great to be here. Listen, we dove in a little bit into the NHL last night, and mixed results ended up on top. The three bets for the Lightning hit, Lightning money line, Lightning team total over, and the full game over. Tons of goals, 6-3 win for the Lightning. Flyers. Not so lucky, right? Went on the road. We're down 3-1 to one early. We had under 6. We had Flyers money line. Flyers came back, pushed it to overtime at 3-3, ended up losing. So we lost the money line. We lost the over, lost the two bets on the Flyers. But the hardwood, we had a sweep. Went in the NBA with the Warriors. It got a little hairy at the end. Huge fourth quarter lead. They let it slip out of their hands, but they still covered the 2.5. And, and my favorite one. Temple plus 20, baby. Lock it in the bank. A dirty dog. I felt filthy after that one. Had to take two showers, but they covered with ease. Nothing like taking a 20-point underdog and cashing in. Yeah, that was a good hit. A couple of big dogs covered last night. You had Temple. You had Minnesota. They were up by like six at one Mm -hmm. point in the second half against Purdue. Covered that spread with ease. I think the Gophers are like 21-3 and ATS this season in college hoops. So that's a team to uh, you know watch over the next couple months. They might not win many games, but they certainly do cover spreads. I had a couple bets in the Pac-12 yesterday. Went 1-1. One and one. Colorado had them on the money line against UCLA. They lost 64-60. to 60. Tough loss there for the Buffaloes. And then I was on USC minus the one and a half against Utah. And that came home 68-64. USC a winner. That line just made no sense. Utah was small favorites during the day. And then as we were wrapping up our show, there was some money coming in on USC. They closed as the favorite. Told me that was probably the right side, and they end up getting home. So a couple of bubble teams there in the Pac-12 mark that needed some wins last night. Colorado and Utah, both of them fall short. And uh, it is that time of the year. We're going to have John Fanta join us 5 o'clock Eastern time here on the show. Going to talk some college hoops with John. So looking forward to that. One of the big stories of the day, though, so far, Mark, came out of the NFL with Jimmy Garoppolo, who's going to be suspended for two games next season. Adam Schefter reporting that Jimmy G violated the NFL's performance-enhancing substance policy. The policy violation is related to him using a prescribed medication uh, without having a valid therapeutic use exemption per sources. So we don't know which team Jimmy G is going to play for next year. 
probably not going to be with the Raiders. We'll see maybe if he goes back to New England. Maybe they need like a veteran quarterback in that building again. But uh, your thoughts, I mean, is Jimmy G, do you see him taking a year off of football? Do you think with this two-game suspension, that's going to make teams kind of shy away from him and not want to take him for this upcoming season? I don't think so. I think he's proven it in the right system with the right people around him. He can be very successful. Is he going to get a starting job? No, but PJ, there's a team out there that I think he's the perfect fit for. Picture this in your mind, right? The LA Rams, we talked about him yesterday. Matt Stafford always, you know, gets banged up every year. There's a bunch of injuries, and it's just a matter of whether he can hold on and play through them or if he ends up down for a couple games. Right now, their backup's Carson Wentz. I'm not the biggest Carson Wentz fan. I would much rather have a proven Jimmy Garoppolo sitting behind uh, Matt Stafford. If I'm the LA Rams, I'm Sean McVay. He gets the strong play caller that he had with Kyle Shanahan in the 49ers. He has a ton of weapons, Cooper Cup, Puka Natakua. I would love to see him in LA. I don't think L.A. is a bad call. I certainly think if a team does get Jimmy G, it's not going to be to compete for a starting job like he was brought there to do Mm -hmm. in Las Vegas or be the quarterback. I I certainly think it's going to be in a backup secondary role. I wonder if the Jets might entertain bringing Jimmy G and obviously familiarity with the AFC East. You certainly can't keep throwing Zach Wilson out there if Rodgers gets hurt again. But you're right. These quarterbacks, these kind of like teams with older veteran quarterbacks that – are maybe uh you know a little bit injury prone. I wonder if uh if Jimmy G lands with some of those teams. Maybe he goes to Tampa Bay potentially and backs up Baker Mayfield there or you know maybe Carolina brings him in and tries to help mentor Bryce Young, right? Maybe some of these teams who are kind of looking uh, for veteran quarterbacks to help out their youngsters, maybe he goes to one of those spots. But I agree with you. I do think Jimmy G plays somewhere next year again. I don't think any team brings him as it brings him in as a starter, right? So even if he is suspended for two games, like I really don't think it's a big deal. He probably wouldn't have played in those two games anyways to begin with. Um, but certainly an interesting development. I don't think he's going to be back in Las Vegas. What do you think the Raiders end up doing with their quarterback position? Obviously, Derek Carr was their guy. They move off of him. They decide to bring in Jimmy G and you know it was certainly like a placeholder kind of year for the Raiders right they you would think they're going to go after a quarterback in the draft now whether they trade up for somebody or somebody falls to them or they take somebody in the later rounds they're probably going to end up getting a quarterback but do you see Vegas as one of those teams that's going to be aggressive and maybe tries to trade up into that three spot with New England I'm not sure because they have so many holes. I'm really concerned about this Raiders team, and it all stems from winning too many football games, I feel like. They got boxed in where they had to hire Antonio Pierce as the coach because the players were behind them, because he screams Raiders in the locker room, lets them write up, write up, uh, light up cigars. He's a lot of fun, big motivator. They players gravitated towards that but I don't know if he's the best fit there and now they have to figure out the quarterback position and because they won so many games they're not close enough towards the top of the draft to where they're really going to get an impact guy I could see them taking the Steelers approach when they drafted Kenny Pickett and just kind of seeing who falls to the mid uh you know, middle of the first round and taking a shot with one of those guys. But if you remember, PJ, like that defense needs a ton of work. Uh, Max Crosby is really the only player they have on there. Linebackers aren't very good. Secondary, 
uh, very leaky. So there's a lot of holes to fill for Antonio Pierce and that Raiders roster. So I don't, I don't know if they have the ammunition to move up. Yeah, I'm with you. Um, it's going to be interesting to see what they do. If they try and just trade for one of these quarterbacks who are going to be in the market, if they decide to take like, you know, a Bo Nix, maybe if he falls into the second round or maybe a J.J. McCarthy slides or something like that, and they tried to go with one of those guys, obviously it'd be pretty funny if they got McCarthy and now his former coach is in their division. That could be an interesting storyline. But the Raiders, I'm with you. They're kind of, they're in this spot where like, they're not a young up and coming team that we kind of see as like building in the right direction, obviously, like a Houston, right? Kind of on that trajectory. But they're not a team that's in win now mode either. They're just kind of those teams that like the upside at most is that they sneak into the playoffs. Like that's their upside, right? They're not winning their division, mm -hmm. but the AFC is so loaded to begin with. But at the same time, it's like, they have Devontae Adams on offense. They have Max Crosby on defense. Like, you have these players that you can build around, and they just haven't done a good job, really, of drafting and building around their roster. Certainly, the quarterback position has hurt them. Uh, Derek Carr was good for a couple years, but he's never had a great defense, and that's the hope, is Antonio Pierce, when he took over, that defense played a lot better, and the Raiders are hoping that, at least for next season, they kind of have something that they can uh, have as their calling card on one side of the ball. So they'll be an interesting team to watch moving forward. How about Caitlin Clark yesterday, Mark? She sets uh, the NCAA scoring record on the women's side for most career points in a career. She dropped 49 against Michigan, and uh, the record-breaking shot was a logo three, as only Caitlin Clark could do. She's... She's something else, man. Are you going to have a ticket? I know we talked a little bit about this yesterday. Are you going to have a ticket on Iowa to win the NCAA Women's Tournament just because of Clay, of Caitlin Clark? I'm, I'm probably not going to go that route because, you know, we talked about the value and the tax that you're going to have to pay to back that team. But I, I, I think it's an awesome story. Like, I love watching Caitlin Clark. Going to miss her. The best part about it is she continues to get better. Like, we haven't seen the best version of Caitlin Clark yet. Uh, you know, three-point percentage higher this year, shoots better from the floor. So um, I, I love everything about this story. I can't wait to see her at the next level. Might have an Indiana Fever ticket. We talked about that yesterday, uh, you know, at Futures, but the, probably not Iowa. Yeah, no, I'm with you. They just don't play enough defense. As awesome as Caitlin is, um, you know, I don't, I don't think they can beat South Carolina again. If they end up getting the rematch with LSU, I don't know if they can get their revenge and beat them. So they're certainly one of the best teams in the country. It's why they're number two, number three. But um, I, South Carolina is the heavy favorite for good reason. LSU's still got a ton of talent. UConn's going to be tough. I mean, with Geno and they got Paige Becker. So it'll be good. The women's game is in a great, great spot, right? There are a lot of big-time stars, and there are a lot of really good teams, and it feels like the parity is more than we've certainly had when UConn was going through their run and Tennessee with Pat Summit too. So uh, it'll be fun to watch, but Caitlin just, like, just keeps on cooking. Yeah, I feel like South Carolina is a little bit like the Chiefs, right? Like, they didn't win, so now you're like, are you really going to bet against them not to win again? Where they're so dominant that you know, like, they didn't get it last year. They're going to get it this year. They're going to be back. So I think when we look at the futures board, even though it's the shortest number, it's still plus money, and it's probably good value. 
Yeah, th- this is true. Then in the NBA last night, we had Clay Thompson drop 35 points off the bench for the Warriors, who are playing really good basketball going into the All-Star break. Currently right now, Golden State is the 10 seed in the Western Conference, but they've won eight of their last 10 games. They're now 27-26. and 26. They trail the Lakers by a game and a half for the 9 seed. They're five games back of New Orleans in the 6 seed for the West. Of course, the 6 seed is that cutoff between the play-in tournament. So what are your thoughts on Golden State, Mark? Now that we've reached the all-star break, 53 games into the season, they have Klay Thompson coming off the bench. He responded in a big way last night against the Jazz are you going to place any money on Golden State to make the playoffs? Because that is plus money right now. If you bet them to make the quarterfinal round and they go up against the one seed uh, in the one eight or the two seed in the two seven matchup. Yeah, I don't hate it, but the uh, the the way I would approach the Warriors is is just kind of maybe bet them if, if they can really have a strong second half and get out of that, you know. Uh, play in tournament and get that sixth seed, maybe get a third seed, um, you know, in the playoffs, then I, I think they could be live. You know, like you don't want to bet them as like a seven, eight. They're going to be fun to watch, but you know, the top of the Western conference is going to be tough, whether it's Denver, whether it's the Clippers um, or even Minnesota. But I think if they could get to that sixth spot in the second half of the year, um, I think that you could look at them. They're going to be a tough out, you know, for a bottom seed. So I think that's where you look at them. Uh, but to make the playoffs, sure, I think they can squeeze in. So that's probably not a bad bet. Yeah, I, I think so, too. I think currently the 10 teams right now that are in the playoff picture for the West, I, I mean, obviously the top five, Minnesota, OKC, the Clippers, Denver, Phoenix, I think they're going to be in New Orleans. I think so, too. Dallas, Sacramento, the Lakers, and Golden State, I think they're all in. I mean, we know San Antonio's not yeah. making it. Portland, Memphis, they're not going to make it. It really comes down to the Rockets, the Jazz, and then the Lakers and the Warriors for those final spots. And obviously with the firepower, the Hall of Famers on on the Lakers and the Warriors, I just I think they're certainly going to be in the playing tournament. And then uh, we'll see what happens. I know certainly that ESPN is probably rooting for a uh, Lakers Warriors nine ten <laughs> right elimination for the ratings. No Absolutely, doubt about it. Absolutely, yeah. That's what 100%. they're waiting for. And when you look at the other teams, too, Houston, Utah, right? Great home teams, much better home teams than they are road teams. Just not really consistent enough. So when they get in that situation, like, are you really going to be able to trust them? Uh, I think the networks and probably the fans as well, even though that, you know, good upcoming teams are a lot of fun, would like to see, you know, Steph and LeBron in those spots. We also got the Genesis Invitational Round 2 underway. Patrick Cantlay is your leader. He eagled the first hole, so he's 9-under par. Then you have three golfers at 8-under, Luke List, Jason Day, and Tom Hoagie. Mackenzie Hughes, Scotty Scheffler, Cam Davis are all at 7-under. Will Zalatoris had a hole-in-one in his round today. He's 6-under along with Jordan Spieth, who just birdied his first hole couple of guys that uh, you and I are on, Mark. Max Homa, five under today. So nice to see him bounce back. Love He's it. three under for the tournament. Tied for 19th. Adam Scott, who I'm on, is three under today. He's two under for the tournament. Victor Hovland, who I have to win. He birdied his first hole. Sam Burns, who you are on, he is one under for the tournament. Even par today. And Tiger Woods just got his round going. Tiger birdie on the first hole, so he is back to even par at the Genesis Invitational. We'll keep you updated on the golf throughout the show. It's time to talk some UFC, though. Minty Betts 
joins us next. Bet- betting analyst, co-host, UFC on the line. We're talking UFC 298. You Better You Bet, presented by BetMGM, PJ Glasser, Mark Drumheller, filling in for Nick and Ken. We'll be right back with You Better You Bet, presented by BetMGM. On the BetQL Network. Let's get back to You Better You Bet, presented by BetMGM. On the BetQL Network. You Better You Bet, presented by BetMGM here on a Friday. PJ Glasser, Mark Drumheller, filling in for Nick Costos and Ken Barkley, you can catch the show today on Sirius Channel 160, Sirius XM 205. You can also watch us on twitch.tv slash betql and YouTube backslash Odyssey Sports. We got a lot to get to today. There's a lot going on this weekend. We got golf. We got NASCAR. We got, uh, you know, some NHL going on, but we also have some UFC as well. And Minty Betts joins us. You can follow her on Twitter at Minty Betts, betting analyst and co-host for UFC on the line. Minty, great to see you. Appreciate you hopping on the show. So we're out in Anaheim for UFC 298. We got a uh, great card. And certainly the the first kind of match that jumps out to me is Volkanovski. And he's a small favorite in his uh, in his fight. What are your thoughts on Volkanovski and Tapuria? Look, I, first of all, love both of these fighters. And they both have... I mean, I, I can make a case for both of them, but I am surprised to see Alex Volkanovsky as such a short favorite of minus 125. Um, I think it's kind of disrespectful because the man has not had any back-to-back losses. He, yeah, he has lost two of his last three, but that was against his kryptonite. He's already successfully defended the, fi- the, the title five times, and he's defied all odds by beating all the young fighters for a title. Yair Rodriguez, uh, Brian Ortega, Max Holloway. So I'm on Alex Volkanovsky here. I absolutely love him to win. And uh, I, I think I think Mark might be on the opposite side of me. I'm not sure. <laughs> I am. We're on the opposite side. So we're going to go head to head on this one. But let's take it to the ladies, Minty. Uh, Mackenzie Dern, step up in competition, lost to Jessica Andrade, looks to bounce back against Amanda Lemos. Lemos opened as a big favorite. Money's come in on the other side on Dern. Do you have a bet on this one? You know, I do have a small bet on this one because I know Amanda Lemos is typically a finisher and she is scary to go up against. She's a small favorite here, but Mackenzie Dern has only been an underdog or closed as an underdog once in her UFC career. She's won that fight and she does not get finished often. In her four defeats in the UFC, she's only gotten finished once. I am sprinkling a little bit on Mackenzie Dern here, but I am going to hold my breath because that that's going to be a tough one. If she can get this to the ground, I think she has a really good shot at this. But ooh, Amanda Lemos is powerful, so anything could happen in this one. Minty, for somebody like me, you know, who kind of casually bets UFC from time to time, obviously, you know, the big events I'll I'll dive into. A lot of my buddies, you know, they like the money line parlays. They think that's a good way because for the most part, a bunch of these favorites win and they should get your sprinkle of underdogs or live betting UFC is another great way too. As you know, like after round one, the odds might be crazy and you could get some great odds on certain fighters. Like how do you like to attack UFC? Do you mostly just bet fight straight up do you like diving into parlays do you like betting it live like what what are your different strategies that you use to attack so i really like just betting the fighters straight up i mean it would be great if i could accurately predict the 
underdog like lock of the week, but I, I have not yet. And I haven't dabbled too much in live betting when it comes to UFC because I'm just so caught up in the moment. Um, but I actually tend to go more towards totals. Um, so, I mean, if you can find a spot where a fighter typically goes to decision or just has a nice solid ground game that his opponent can't really defend well against, I think you're good with totals in terms of like overs. I love overs. So I usually just bet straight up or uh, just look at totals. Props are another good one, but I have been burned when it comes to method of victory. So as as fun as it is, and as much as we like to assume that we can predict the pattern of, of method of victory, it's very, very hard to do so in the UFC because, again, anything can happen. Great stuff. Totals are always a sweat. Minty, when we look at this card, I know Marab taking on Henry Cejudo, two offensive wrestlers. Um, any any totals um, on this this fight or maybe any anything else on the card? You know what? For well, let me actually go to the Marab one first. I'll touch on that one. I actually love Marab Dvalishvili to win this one. Um, I do believe he is a little too pricey at what is it minus two thirty or so. Um, so I'm actually going to look at Marab by decision at minus one thirty five. He's had eight of his nine uh, victories end in decision. And I just I don't know. I, I feel like Henry Cejudo is such a wild card. Like we don't really know which Henry Cejudo is going to show up. I mean, he did spend some of the best years of his career in retirement with some, you know, so I just don't know what we can expect from Henry Cejudo. And he's been very inconsistent in terms of like how he wins and how he fights. And so he, he's just a wild card. So I'm going to say that Marab is going to control most of this fight and he's going to dominate here and he's going to win by decision. I, I can't see Marab finishing triple C or anything. But another total I'm actually really, really loving is going to be for the main event. Alex Volkanovsky and Ilya Teporia over three and a half. Um, I'm kind of seeing different numbers all over the place. Um, but if you want to bet on Volk and Teporia going to decision, that's plus 120. So that might be worth a sprinkle as well. Both of these fighters are incredibly durable. And as we saw, Ilya Teporia, although typically a finisher, he went five full rounds with Josh Emmett. And that guy is pretty tough. Although he is aging, he is still a very powerful fighter. And also Volk, he's only been finished once in his UFC career. And that was against, again, his kryptonite Islam Makachev. So I like the over in that one a lot. Minty, is there anything that you like in this match between um, Quinlan and Barlow? Barlow's minus 200. Quinlan is plus 165. Both Americans. Did, did you make any bets in, uh, in this fight? I did not. Actually, a lot of my picks are uh, all the main card, very main card heavy here. So my best bet is going to be Alex Volkanovsky. I also am leaning the uh, Ian Machado, Gary and Jeff Neal fight to go over two and a half as well. I kind of have a fun little bet for that one because I can see if it goes to decision, I can see Jeff Neal winning here. Um, but if it gets finished inside the distance, I can see Ian Gary. So I'm actually sprinkling a little bit on Jeff Neal to win by decision or Ian Machado Gary by knockout at plus 140 as honestly I could make a case for both sides here I really loved the Jeff Neal side when I first uh, when this fight was first scheduled but now I don't know seeing seeing Ian Machado Gary I think he could actually finish finish Jeff Neal here 
Minty, now I've been to a couple live events where I've sat down low, and the one thing that jumps out at me is just how loud it sounds when these strikes connect. When you hear these fighters, you know, land strikes, even kicks, it's just such a such a different feeling when you're up there in the beginning. And I know you're at the Apex, you know, working for the UFC. Tell me a little bit about that experience and, you know, some of the differences from being there live and being up close than what people might see on TV. Yeah, so surprisingly enough, I've only ever been to one very large pay-per-view event uh, for the UFC, and the atmosphere is crazy. The energy is loud, and it is just like, you, you just need to be there to experience it. But a fight at the Apex in a smaller venue, in a smaller octagon, it is much more nerve-wracking. So I feel like you can feel your bets pierce through your bloodstream and you're just like sweating it all out. Like it's very, very nerve-wracking. You can hear every shot, every kick. Um, you can hear what the corners are saying. So it is certainly a different type of uh, vibe. And as a viewer, it's really, really fun. Um, but I know a lot of fighters don't don't really like this. But if anyone gets a chance to go to the Apex, you you must. And it is costly, but it is quite an experience because you truly like. I mean, the fighters could truly just sweat or bleed on you. That's how close you are. There's only three rows of seating at the Apex, and uh, I mean, it's pretty cool. It's all inclusive food and beverage service. Everyone is nice. Everyone knows each other. And oddly enough. Half of the people that I see attending the Apex fights are all like regular people. Like they they go there every single week. And I don't know, you know, they, they've got some money to spend, but it's crazy. I mean, I'll see a lot of regulars there and I'm like, you're, you're still here. You're still paying for this. But it's, it's quite an experience. It's really fun. <laughs> You Better You Bet presented by BetMGM. We're talking with Minty Betts. You can follow her on Twitter at Minty Betts. She's a betting analyst, co-host UFC on the line. We're talking UFC 298. But Minty, I actually want to ask you about UFC 299 because there is a line already out for the O'Malley-Vera fight where O'Malley is minus 210 and Vera's plus 165. Now, generally in sports betting, right, all these sports, if, if there are futures lines, People always like getting ahead of the number, maybe if they think there's going to be some line movement. Do you do the same in UFC? Like, will you look ahead at some future fights? And if you think maybe the market is kind of overreacting or underreacting to a fighter, will you sometimes bet fights in the future, maybe a month down the road? Absolutely. But there is so much risk because I don't know if it's happened more in the past or more so now, but I feel like a lot of some things always happen with like certain fighters like they pull out they're not ready they're sick they're hurt like things always happen so i actually try to stay away from betting it too early even though it means missing the best of the number but man sean o'malley being over a two buck favorite i don't see how sean loses like i think everyone's going to be on o'malley by finish against cheeto vera because cheeto hasn't been looking too I feel like he's been a little lackluster lately is what I should say. Um, so, yeah, I, I think this might be the best number you're going to get with Sean O'Malley. But uh, I don't know. I, I stay away from betting it too early just because, again, anything can happen. People can get hurt. Things can get moved around. So, yeah, I, I can see Sean O'Malley's number climbing by by fight night. To follow up on that point, Minty, a lot, a lot of betters I know, some of them like to wait until after the weigh-ins, right? They want to see the fighters mm -hmm. on the scale. They want to make sure that no, nothing went wrong with the weight cut, how they looked, especially if somebody's moving weight classes or something. Is that something that you like to do? Has there ever been a time where 
you know, you saw the weigh-ins and you were like, don't like this. I got to cash out now. (laughs) Yeah, absolutely. So unfortunately, when it comes to like us shooting for UFC Fight Passes on the line show, we do it either on Thursday live or even like a week before the pay-per-view fights. So we don't get to see the weigh-ins and it unfortunately does go against some of our bets when they do end up looking not too hot on the scale. Um, Yeah, but luckily for the fight nights, uh, you know, I'm live on Saturday is on the fight nights. I get to see them, you know, after the weigh-in and I can feel a little bit better about about my bet, but yeah, a, a lot of a lot of betters tend to wait until after the weigh-ins um, in order to make their picks, which I think is really smart. I, I, actually, I prefer doing that instead of getting ahead of the rest of the betters and getting the best number possible, because again, that is super risky. Minty, I do want to ask you about the one NHL game that we do have tonight. The Hurricanes are facing off against the Coyotes, Carolina minus two twenty-five on the money line. The total is six. On the puck line, Carolina, minus one and a half at plus 120. Only one game tonight in the NHL. Is there anything you like in Canes and Coyotes? Uh, Yes. So one game tonight, unfortunately, but I have two picks for it. So my first one is going to be the Carolina Hurricanes on the puck line at plus 120. They're coming off of three straight wins going against a struggling Arizona team who's off seven straight losses, I believe. Um, And it's confirmed that Carl Vemelka will be in the net for the Coyotes. He has been struggling this season. So I like the Hurricanes on the puck line, minus one and a half, plus 120. And I've also got a fun little parlay that I found. Um, The Hurricanes to win and both teams to score one or more goals. This is on BetMGM at plus 105. So although Arizona is struggling to win games and get that offense going, they've not been shut out since the start of the season in October. So I do like the chances of both teams to score at least one or more goals and for the Hurricanes to win. And I'm getting plus money for it, plus 105. So yeah, that's those are my best bets for tonight's lone NHL game. I love it because I'm on Carolina. I took team total over three and a half. I took over six for the game and I took some Carolina money line. So hopefully the Hurricanes deliver tonight um, with Arizona. I want to pivot back to the UFC a little bit, Minty, and talk about a fight that I have, um, you know, a play on. And that's Robert Whitaker versus Paul Acosta. I think this fight is actually very interesting in the sense that you have Whitaker coming off the knockout loss to Drakus Duplessis. And then you have uh, Acosta who I feel like just continues to underwhelm as late. I just feel like his his power is a little bit overrated, hasn't finished anybody, and I think it's close to five years. What are your just general thoughts on this one if you didn't place a bet? How do you see it going? Do you think Whitaker can bounce back? Yeah, man, this is hard. This is actually a fight that I didn't give out and probably not betting on. However... I think there is something to be said about Paulo Costa. A lot of people are on Paulo Costa, mm-hmm. and I trust everyone that I, you know, talk to about their UFC picks with. Um, I'm surprised Robert Whitaker is a, as big of a favorite as he is. I think he should be the favorite. Do I think he should be this big of a favorite? Probably not. I mean, his only losses, you know, lately, I guess, and his record are to the current middleweight champion, Dracus Duplessis, and then two losses to Israel Adesanya. But we haven't seen Paulo Costa in so long, and that is a bit of a concern. And not only the inactivity, but he's coming off of um, his injury and recovering from that. But I think Paulo Costa could be, like, could have that one-punch knockout that 
could catch Robert Whitaker. So I kind of lean the cost aside, even though initially when I first looked at this matchup, I like Bobby Knuckles, but this one's hard. I, I don't know. I don't know where to go. It is a tough one. I played Whitaker by decision, so hopefully that knockout doesn't come. But, uh, you know, we'll see. I can understand why people are worried about Whitaker's durability. Going to be fun. She is Minty yeah, Betts. Absolutely. You follow her on Twitter, at Minty Betts, betting analyst, co-host UFC on the line. UFC 298 tomorrow. Minty, great talking to you. Thanks for stopping by. Enjoy the fights tomorrow. Thanks for having me. Good luck, guys. All right, more You Better You Bet presented by BetMGM on the other side. Mark and I coming back and talking NFL free agency. We'll be right back with You Better You Bet presented by BetMGM on the BetQL Network. You better, you bet. Presented by Bennett. Jay Glasper, Mark Drumheller. We just had Minty Betts on talking some UFC 298. Really great stuff from Minty. Make sure you go back, listen to the podcast there, get in some picks before the fights tomorrow. We are going to have a ton of great guests on the show today. As I mentioned earlier, John Fanta is going to join us 5 o'clock in the third hour. Next hour, we're going to have Johnny Venezia join us to talk college baseball. Opening day was today. Cody Zeeb's going to join us to talk Daytona 500 as well. So uh, a lot of great stuff coming on. Casey Hudson is also going to join us in hour three to talk about the NHL and some NBA All-Star Weekend also. So a lot of great guests coming up on the show. Time for us to talk some NFL, though. Mark and I still on Sirius Channel 160, Sirius XM 205. We're on twitch.tv slash betql and YouTube backslash Odyssey Sports. Yesterday, Mark, we were talking about some of the different head coach hirings in um, in the NFL. And we got to like half of the coaches. We didn't talk about the other half. Let's start with the Chargers. We touched on them a little bit. Obviously, Jim Harbaugh takes the job, goes from Michigan to L.A. And I just know talking to you, you brought it up during the week on the show. You think it's a good hire, but you're not sold on Harbaugh coming in immediately right away in that division and just changing the Chargers overnight. Like, you're not buying them being a Super Bowl contender next year. I'm not. So I think that Chargers fans might be a little bit impatient with Jim Harbaugh in the beginning because I do think it is an adjustment going from college to the NFL. I know he's been in the NFL before, but that was a decade ago, and it is a big adjustment for him. I think it's going to take a little bit of time. The division is very competitive. Not the biggest Raiders fan, but I like what we saw the Broncos in the second half of the season. I think if they figure out the quarterback, get a young quarterback in there that can grow under Peyton, I think they could be a tough out. And, of course, the Chiefs, man. I mean, the regular season Chiefs don't scare you like postseason Chiefs, but they still win a lot of games. Yeah, I mean, that's the thing, Mark. The division is just going to be so tough. I mean, you're going against the Chiefs, but you're going against Sean Payton, who obviously is a very good coach. And the Raiders, like, you know, they're not a very good team, but, like, look at what they did in that division this year, right? They went up to Arrowhead. Mm -hmm. They beat the Chiefs. They've owned the Broncos for whatever reason. Like, that was the only team that McDaniels could beat in his tenure. So, obviously, we all know his fans, like in the NFL. Even the teams that stink in your division, those games are always tough. So, the Raiders are going to be competitive 
for the Chargers. I am I am interested, though, to see this dynamic with Harbaugh and Herbert just because he obviously is a former NFL quarterback. He's a great coach. He wins everywhere he goes, and his quarterbacks always seem to play well. I mean, Alex Smith played the best football of his career when he was with Harbaugh in San Francisco, led him to an NFC title game. Obviously, Kaepernick had some great years. Then he goes to Michigan. What he was able to do with J.J. McCarthy won a national championship. So... <laughs> I'm just excited for Herbert, Mark, and I really have no ties to Herbert or the Chargers, but I'm just excited that, like, finally he's getting a legit coach, right? Like, no more Anthony Lynn, no more Brandon Staley. Like, you're finally getting some good coaching, and I'm interested to see what the Chargers do with that as well. So, I mean, we'll see. He's also going to bring a certain physicality to the defensive side of the ball, too, that I don't think many people are talking about either. I think that's a good point, but it is going to be a challenge. What do they do defensively, right? They have a lot of aging veterans that underperformed, that are taking up a lot of cap space. Does he try and clear out some of that cap space, get some new talent in there, coach those guys up? I think that's that's what we have to see out of Harbaugh. Again, tremendous coach, going to be a success there, but I, I just think it's going to take some time. I don't think it happens in year one. I think there's going to be some growing pains. Um, but I love seeing, you brought up Herbert. I thought it was an excellent point. I love seeing young quarterbacks with a ton of potential get linked up in good situations because we mm -hmm. always see them get drafted into bad situations and we spend the next five years wondering about what could have been. And I feel like we spent the last couple of years wondering what should be with Justin Herbert. But now we're going to find out. These are the find-out years for Justin Herbert. Is he closer to Patrick Mahomes, Joe Burrow, or is he going to be a middle-of-the-pack guy like Jimmy Garoppolo you know, was with San Francisco? How is he going to be in that offense? I think Harbaugh is going to like his mobility. I think he's going to use it. Um, so I'm really excited about what we see out of Justin Herbert in this next couple years. What do you think the schedule makers decide to do opening night in the NFL? So obviously the Chiefs are going to open at home. It looks like the four games that are the most likely that NBC is going to put on opening night would either be the Ravens, the Bengals, the Texans, or the Chargers in Jim Harbaugh's first game. If you were the schedule maker, Mark Drumheller, who would you pin against the Chiefs in week one? Which matchup? would you want to see the most? Texans, Chargers, Bengals, or Ravens against the Chiefs? As a fan, I want to see the Bengals, especially if it's in Burrowhead, right? I want to see that <laughs> rivalry reignited on week one. But if I'm a TV guy and I'm doing it for the networks, I'm doing it for the NFL, I want to see C.J. Stroud. I want to see the Houston Texans. I think Stroud is the guy – we talk about quarterback tiers. We talk about Tua. We talk about Jalen Hurts. We talk about Justin Herbert. C.J. Stroud's a guy who I think can surpass them all next year, and I think he could be in that tier with Mahomes and, and uh, Burrow. I think he's that good, and he's going to be that good in the NFL. So I'm excited to see what D'Amico Ryans does now that he has another year to build the roster. They have a ton of cap space. Hopefully they don't go crazy in free agency because we know that's not a successful strategy long term. But they give him more pieces around him, maybe bring in a Saquon Barkley, right? A better weapon out of the backfield. I would love to see it. So I'm super excited about what we're going to see out of the Texans. And seeing them, you know, start the season against the Chiefs, I think it'd be great television. And myself personally, like I think that the following day, my Eagles are in Brazil. That's right. 
That's right. They are in Brazil. Who would you like to see them go up against in uh, in Brazil? I don't think they're giving you Eagles Cowboys in Brazil. You might like get like Eagles Commanders or something like that. <laughs> I definitely don't want it to be Eagles Cowboys because we're the home team. So we're going to oh, be losing true. this home game. So if it's any game of importance, especially like the Cowboys, we want that game in Lincoln Financial Field. So I'll take the Commanders. Don't mind playing them in Brazil if we can get that. Dan Quinn, right? We know if Dan Quinn's coaching. And even if the Eagles are down going into the fourth quarter, we're going to smash that live bet and cash in on that money line. So that would be a great way to start the season. Yeah, that's a good call. I forgot about that. We have obviously opening night on Thursday, Sunday, and Monday Night Football, but we also get that Friday Brazil game. Also on that Chargers coaching staff, Jim Harbaugh brought his defensive coordinator from Michigan, Jesse Minter, along with him. And I don't think we can overlook that either. Like, you look at the track record Harbaugh had at Michigan with some of the defensive coordinators that he brought in. Don Brown was originally with him when he was first there. was great. Then he had Mike McDonald on his staff. John plucked him away to Baltimore and then obviously just rose through the ranks two years. Now he's the head coach in Seattle. Minter might be that next guy. Obviously, when Harbaugh was suspended, it was him and Sharon Moore trying to keep everything afloat on that Michigan sideline. We're able to win at Penn State. We're able to beat Ohio State as well. So bringing Minter with them is uh, is a great move. However, bringing Greg Roman along with you as your offensive coordinator, Mark, yeah, I, I don't I don't know about that. Now look, year one of Greg Roman, outstanding. Chargers fans are gonna love him. He's gonna be great, but I don't think it's a great fit with like what Jim and the Chargers wanna do. Like Austin Eckler is an aging running back, probably not gonna be back. Maybe they get somebody in the draft, but like this is a team that wants to throw the football. Herbert's your quarterback. You got Keenan Allen, you got Mike Williams, just took Quentin Johnson in the first round last year. The knock on Roman, he's got great running concepts but his passing concepts are some of the worst of any OC. So that one is is a little head-scratching. Again, Greg worked for four years under John Harbaugh, so I'm sure he told him plenty about Jim, and Jim decided if he th- think it would be a good fit. But uh, that that was an interesting one. When Roman was applying for the Bears job, if they wanted to keep Justin Fields, like that I understood, right? Obviously because of Fields' ability to run. But Herbert, like it just like that doesn't make sense to me. So I'm interested to see how that dynamic worked. Obviously, they were together in San Francisco, had some success, made it to the Super Bowl. But Kaepernick and Alex Smith were their quarterbacks, and that was more so guys that were running the ball. So we'll see. Maybe early on in the year, we look at maybe Justin Herbert rushing yards as like a potential bet in some prop markets because certainly they're going to kind of make the number like they normally would. But with Roman as your OC, you know, there's going to be some zone read. There's going to be maybe a design run here or there. Like Herbert's an athlete. He can run. We just don't think of him as a runner at all. So the Roman move at OC was, was a little interesting for me with the Chargers. Yeah, I don't like Roman at all. I think when you hire Greg Roman, you put a ceiling on your offense. And I think we saw that in Baltimore. There's a ceiling. And the whole purpose of bringing Jim Harbaugh to L.A. is to take the ceiling away from Justin Herbert, right? We want to maximize his potential. We want to see what type of elite quarterback he can grow into. So I don't want him playing in an offense where there's a ceiling. So I thought Roman was a terrible hire. It just sounds like he's trying to recreate what he did in San Francisco. The game has evolved, Jim. 
It's a decade later. We don't want to do what we did in San Francisco. We need to be more modern, and we need to maximize what Justin Herbert can do on the field. So I don't like that. But, PJ, I want to go back to you in regards to Minter because are we sure that Minter's really that good? Like, are we sure that he's the right guy that we're that excited about? Because it sounds like we've seen this in the NFL. The, the further you get away from, you know, the, the Kyle Shanahan tree, the Sean McVay tree, or the Andy Reid tree, right? There's always like a Matt Nagy rolled in there. There's always a couple coaches. Not every coach is just the further you go down the tree, it, the further you get from that, you know, leader, head coach that you were looking to get a guy in that mold. And with Minter, now we're you know, removed from Mike McDonald. Do we just think he's going to be Mike McDonald? Because I don't. I think Mike McDonald might be a little bit of a unicorn. Oh, no, I completely am. Mike McDonald, like, it, it got to the point with Mike McDonald, Mark, and I, like, truly, I mean this sincerely, and I was talking about this with Ken Barkley, and he thought that Ravens fans were just crazy about it. It got to the point where I maybe would have considered firing Harbaugh if it meant keeping Mike McDonald. Like, that's how highly... I regard Mm -hmm. him and how many people do. I I think he's one of the best defensive minds in the sport. So I certainly don't think Minter will be that. To answer your question, like, I just, I don't know how good he's going to be. I really don't. Jim Harbaugh has obviously worked with him every day for the last couple of years, so he would know. And I don't even know if Jim knows how he's going to be at the NFL level. But certainly he thought he was good enough to uh, give him a try and see how it would work out. We're going to continue talking about the new head coaching vacancies. When we come back, You Better You Bet presented by BetMGM, PJ, and Mark. We'll be right back with You Better You Bet presented by BetMGM on the BetQL Network.